Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Leah Purcell. Leah is a Goa Gungari Waka Waka woman. She's a director and actor whose work you may have caught in films like Lantana and Jindabyne. In 2016, Leah Purcell wrote and produced the award-winning play The Drover's Wife for, two, for Belvoir Street Theatre. And today, Leah is joining me to discuss her novel of The Drover's Wife. I'm Andrew Popel, and each week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to that land. stolen land, land that was never ceded. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture as featured on 2SER. And on the Great Conversations podcast, we give you those extended interviews and a chance to hear more go deeper into the discussion. Set in 1892, The Drover's Wife is a reimagining of the popular Henry Lawson short story. That story forms a reminiscence of Molly Johnson, Purcell's protagonist. Molly lives in the high country with her four children, while her husband is off droving. The family have a simple life, a one-room house and a packed dirt floor, and Molly is expecting her fifth child. As she approaches her due date, though, Molly is faced with extraordinary challenges as an Aboriginal man on the run from the law appears at her door. Join me as we discover Leah Purcell's The Drover's Wife. My name is Andrew Popel, and I have an absolutely stunning new novel for you. It is from Leah Purcell. It is called The Drover's Wife, and... Look, it is hard to do a brief introduction to Leah Purcell. If she was a little less talented, you might call her a triple threat. But as I checked, she is an award-winning actor, a director, a playwright, a screenwriter. And most importantly for the conversation, we are about to have an author. Leah is a proud Goa, Gungari, Waka Waka woman. And it is my great pleasure to welcome her to Final Draft. Leah, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great. It is great to have you here. And it's great to be talking about The Drover's Wife. I want to give the listeners just a little bit of an idea. We're, um, we're in the Snowy Mountains. Molly Johnson lives with her four children with another on the way. It's Victoria's high country and it's a hard life, but Molly rejoices in her family. She's proud of her life and her understanding of the land around her, but as she is approaching her due date, she is about to face challenges that she could never anticipate. Uh, the Drover's Wife is inspired in sort of a reimagining of Henry Lawson's classic short story of the same name. You cleverly rework that plot into an early reminiscence of Molly Johnson, but I really wanted to start with what drew you to this story and what you were interested um, in as you expanded the, the world. Yeah, well... My mum would read me The Drover's Wife. My mum had the little book of um, Henry Lawson's published stories, short stories, and um, uh, she would read it to me. And when I was a little girl, and because we slept in the same room I, and I was a mongrel sleeper, I'd always get her to recite the story to me. And then I'd get, and then I'd stop her um, just before the end and recite the famous last line of Ma, I won't never go a droving. Um, but I just—it was a story that I guess I, I could relate to, story that I first remembered. Um, my mum—it was just me and my mum at home. Although I'm the youngest of seven children, the others were a lot older, so they were sort of left home or very close to leaving. So it was just me and my mum. My mum—there was no dad figure in my life, so my mum was my mum and my dad, and she did everything. We had a wood heap out the back, you know. We had a combustion stove, so we were. She taught me how to split split logs for firewood and you know boiling hot water on a in a copper pot. So 
um, I don't know. I just I just could relate to that. And then I also felt that I was my mother's protector, like that little boy in Henry Lawson's version. And I just I just loved loved it, and it just stayed with me um, for uh, forty two years until I finally said, you know, I'm going to do something in two thousand and fourteen, which was write the play first, then the screenplay came, and then the novel. But um, so yeah, that sort of how that came about but it was I was doing the film Jindabon in 2006 with Ray Lawrence the director and on weekends I'd go and walk with my partner in the National Park and me and him walked up to Mount Kosciuszko and I fell in love with the landscape and I said we just don't utilise this landscape enough um, uh, and we should have it in our films and TV so in 2006 I said I'm going to put it out there on country I'm coming back I'm going to do something uh, I think I'm going to be in it. I think I'm going to write it, and I think it'll be the drover's wife. So, and then two weeks ago, we just finished wrapping the film. But of course, um, whilst I was writing the play and the uh, screenplay, my partner Bain, who is the producer of my production company, our production company, uh, went out there and sneakily got me a, a book deal with Penguin Random House and said, "You're writing the novel of it when you finish all of that." So, it was great to do that. I, I had a ball, you know. I failed English at school, so to be able to sit down and write a novel and just have a have a great time doing it, um, and I hope to do another one. It was just an amazing experience. It is, and it is an amazing book to read. And I really want to get to the way you've crafted the book, but I, I don't want to leave the story just yet. In Molly Johnson, she's the titular drover's wife. She's a focal point of the story, and and against her, we have juxtaposed this sort of emerging prosperity of the the town of Everton, but then also the abuse, the privation, the murder of the local indigenous population. Now, there's there's a history in white Australian literature of really celebrating frontier achievement and, and sort of rem- remembering it in this romantic way. I wondered what your concerns were in creating a more balanced and, and true account of this, this oh, history. Yeah, well, there was no concerns. I just wanted to do it. Mm. Like when I first wrote, you know, was writing... I guess it always comes back to the play because that was the first time I had ventured in. But when I was, you know, doing that research and, and going through that, I said, I, and and all in all my work, I, I'm about truth-telling. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, the first draft, I, I, me and my partner went out to dinner and I said, I'm not happy with a few things in the first draft. And, and I, you know, he's a great sounding board, so we were bouncing ideas and he says, well, if, if us as blackfellas can't tell the truth what happened to our ancestors, then who's going to? So that opened the floodgates and about the truth-telling because I actually found diaries. Yarika, who was the Aboriginal character in the book, um, lead, um, male, um, his backstory is loosely based on my, great, my Aboriginal great-grandfather mm. um, who was given to a South African circus in 1891 and toured the east coast of Australia for, uh, you know, till um, 1892. And then they left him destitute in Melbourne and he was found in the Pentridge prison just about dead by um, Father Daniel Matthews that had a so-called mission for wayward young boys and took him uh, out to Echuca and, um, you know, taught him to read, write and play the tuba. And, you know, so through going through, finding that information and going through diaries, you know, I uh, it's a word verbatim for the two stockmen when when you in that chapter towards the end when they confront Yarika, um, that's word verbatim taken from diaries of superiors of the time. So I just wanted to sh- 
to to open that up for conversation and say this stuff happened because mm. this was written by white superiors of that time about my great grandfather about what happened in the area as they were as they were settling and coming coming through so you know and I think as a nation we need to we need to know the truth we need to be confronted with that so that we can move forward. Absolutely. And you mentioned there the year 1892. So there's overlap with your, your personal family history. That's the year that Henry Lawson's uh, The yeah. Drover's Wife was published. It's also this really particular historical moment with the world economy and depression. Australia is standing on the cusp of federation, or white Australia is standing on the cusp of federation. The women's suffrage movement is gaining force, but also at federation, a lot of gains in suffrage for Aboriginal people in South Australia are about to be lost. Um, and, yeah. you know, people that had the vote were going to have it taken away from them. Can you talk to me about the history that informed your writing and what you wanted to reflect? Oh, look, it was, it was, uh, and I, 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 I love my history as I've gotten older, especially, well, I was really keen when I was 15, just trying to go back and trace my family, you know, Aboriginal family, when they were taken and stolen and things like that. So I've always been a bit of a detective in jumping mm-hmm. in and having a search. On. So it was great to just jump in. And, and look, it was really simple in some of the cases. Like when I said I want to tie in my great grandfather, and then I, you know, raced over to the book and went, "Oh, great! Henry Lawson published this in 1892. It's a signal. It's a sign." And I just, you know, jumped into research of the events that were happening around the time. And and a big influence also was Louisa Lawson, Henry Lawson's mother, who mm-hmm. I named Louisa Clintoff after and how she's for the suffragette of women and, 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 and the movement. So it was just, you know, the good old research going through, comparing um, economic depression that was happening. And I also spoke to some local people out on country, out in the Monero area, who, who was a family that had been there uh, for quite some time. And they were there uh, from the very early stages and they, were, uh, they brought sheep in to be in the high country to, to, to graze their sheep. So, you know, it, it was a lot of oral yarns with the locals, uh, Indigenous people as well. I've got elders that were on, and they told me a few stories. And it was also going up there many times for um, the recce location mm. for the film, that, you know, when you're meeting other farmers and you're sitting and you're talking and you, it was just sharing of knowledge and it was, um, and you know, and then good old Google <laughs> <laughs> to, to, you know, jump on and that's how, and then, you know, yeah, and then, and then of course, also writing the screenplay, you have to write character breakdowns. So then I went and researched and find it, if, you know, wanted to put a backstory to the so-called bad guys and find out why they were the way they were and set in their ways. So I, I just had a ball. It was I, I just loved putting it together and then taking those factual moments and saying, now how can I place my characters in that and have them experience this and 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 get a heart and soul to um, all all of that uh, the, the politics of the time. And that part of that heart and soul, there is a story. And of course, we're not going to reveal too much of the story, but there is. There's an absolutely devastating line from around the middle of the book, and it is Yadika speaking to Molly. Um, 
and he says, my only crime, missus, is existing while black. And I was interested in, at a similar point in the story, a murder mystery that you unveil, the killing of the family of one of Everton's founding fathers. It instantly ignites his suspicion of white against black. Um, the assumption is that it must be one of the local indigenous population. And of course, the very first black man that we meet after the killing becomes a convenient scapegoat. What did you want this part of the story to reveal about time and place and existing tensions? And Because we can still see resonances of that suspicion, but the way you revealed them through different points of view was just amazing. Oh, thank you. Look, I just, I, I just think that was the, the, um, the, the thriller crime writer in me, you know, <laughs> trying to weave a, a good story. Because at the end of the day, that's what I, I wanted to make sure I was doing. Because I want my readers to not only be enticed by the cover or the or the idea, but to actually, you know, make sure that there was a good story there. And I guess it's also it was it was I guess it was growing up in a small country town in Mergen where it was black and white. There was an Aboriginal settlement where my mother was born and and bred, and and then we moved into the township of Mergen, so it was very black and white. And you know, and I'm and I'm a fair-skinned Aboriginal woman, so I would always see the prejudice against my darker skin relatives and friends when you'd go into shops and they and they'd be pinpointed always always first if there was if there was trouble anywhere and and you know and that was the stuff that happened back in the day of my great grandfather and unfortunately it's still happening in society today. So I just wanted to bring it to people's awareness, you know, don't and what's beautiful is that yes, Yarika He's he's a he's a big strong, you know, Aboriginal man, and 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 that can be intimidating, but you know when you learn his story, he's a beautiful man, he's a gentle man, and and you know and we don't want to give anything away, but incidents that happen to him, you're just going, no, nah, not this bloke. So it's about mm. you know don't judge people by their appearance, get to know them first before you make that 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 call on 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 their character, I guess. It's an interesting. Um Maybe not contrast, but just that juxtaposition, that comparison between Yadika and Nate. They're just these big, strong, very handsome, <laughs> attractive men that, um, yeah, you sort of, you really kind of root for in the story. I, I keep talking yeah. about your writing style, um, and I want to get to that before we run out of time. You create something that to me was almost cinematic, and I'm really curious if this has anything of a bleed between this, the the script and the screenplay, where you take the reader from an overview of the action or maybe a, a wide shot where you're showing us what's happening, and then we get to the character's point of view, almost like you're zooming in for a close-up on a particular scene. How did you approach this stylistically? What, what formed your writing style? Yeah, look, I, I think I did, because at the same time I was working on the many drafts of the screenplay uh, for the film, and um, and also my um, so I was in in that sort of programming in my in my in my in my head, but also my editors um, said, you know, Leah, don't be afraid to you know inform us and take us there and first person, third person, inner thoughts. So I just, I just look. I'm someone. I just went with what was coming to me. I guess you know. And as I said, being probably heavily influenced by the feature film. But I love to when I read things. I I love to visualise as I'm reading. 
you know, I like to play a little film and, and if I can't see it, then I sort of kind of get bored with the book <laughs> uh, or, or, with, or even with the, with the script, you know. Um, so I just, I just wanted to really paint that picture. And because I've been up onto that country um, trying to connect with it for the feature film, you know, I sat by that river in the beginning. I, I touched those granite rocks. I, I ran my hands through the tussock grass. You know, I shook hands with actual, you know, women who, who were drovers and, and their calloused hands. You know, I, and whilst I was writing, I'd be trying to remember those smells, remember those feelings and remember how I felt on that country and, and, and how glorious and it was and beautiful to my eye. And I just, I just, you know, and, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how to write a novel, but I just I just wanted, you know, it's my first one. So I, I disagree. Wanted... I think you do. <laughs> I've got it in oh, front of me. One, one, of yeah, the, one of the ways you used that technique to great effect was in your imagining of that sort of first contact between the white invaders, settlers and uh, the Narago people where you allow us to jump between... Uh, different points of view and at one point I, I think the line is along the lines of the the two men didn't appreciate that what they were nodding their heads at were completely different mm. things and we see this this central division that creates uh, this uh, history of violence but also you show us the equality of power and in fact how the Narago people were looking down on the white settlers because uh, especially the the soft overweight um uh, farmers oh. who who really you know they sort of pointed out that they would have been left behind they were a, a liability to the to the group <laughs> yeah look it was just things that um i had you know I've, I've been very fortunate in my work and i've gone to many different uh communities aboriginal communities around australia and 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 sat down and yarned and and, and observed how how the men would do things or the or, or the clan would interact and work and and I just wanted to 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 bring to 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 show that and it's not a lot of people are privileged to the running of of, of a clan or a system mm-hmm. you know that's still strong today and I just wanted to show that our for for our race to survive you know I say since time began if you want to go by the textbooks you know 100,000 years 60,000 years it's not because they just sat back and did nothing. Mm. You know, they were scientists. They were amazing people. They were architects. They were engineers, you know, to survive that long and run with dinosaurs, you know. Um, and, I, and I wanted, because in, in, in film, in television, there's more so in, in, in books now, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years with Indigenous writers coming through. We, we never had those heroes or we didn't know of those heroes. Um, and I just really wanted to put that forward that they weren't just a placid race that just walked here and walked there and did a bit of that. They were they were intelligent people to have survived and to and and to lived. And they were about wanting to give and share and and bring in. And they did sort of want to adopt in, in non-indigenous people to come in and share their knowledge. And then you got a better understanding. But it was the it was the white fellows that didn't thought that they were the superior and these guys were nothing and you know because they didn't understand each other's language they were going to walk all over them they didn't understand this attempt to come in mate learn the way we live and 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 let's work together but it all all went out the window yeah i think for 200 years amongst white writing there has been a tendency to deny ignore forget deliberately obfuscate so much of our history and i 
I mean, the, the Drover's Wife is a novel, but it is an incredibly historical novel that you have researched meticulously. I am speaking with Leah Purcell, and we are discussing her new novel, The Drover's Wife. It has been an award-winning play at Belvoir Street Theatre in Sydney, and it is going to be a feature film in 2020. Leah, thank you so much. It's been a privilege talking to you. Thank you for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation with Leah Purcell. Leah's debut novel is The Drover's Wife, and it's out now through Penguin. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow us on this podcast. Just hit subscribe. There'll be a new podcast every week, wherever you catch your pods. Uh, Also, give us a rating. It is a way for other people to discover great Australian books. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. And uh, it's that time of the year, so I'm going to say happy holidays, however you celebrate. See you next week and happy reading.